This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome. To my favorite murder. The mini so It's tiny and mini. It's real short. We're just going to keep you for a couple minutes. Yeah. We've got a, some emails from other people to read to you. <laughs> if you could just hang out for five, 20 minutes. Yeah. It would be great. Got a PowerPoint presentation to go with it. Yeah. It'll be quick and easy. There's also going to be sound effects. We'll have lunch catered in. It'll be great. <laughs> um, I'm going to go first. You got it? Yeah. You want to go first? You go ahead. Okay. Hey, MFM fam. I know you hate malarkey, so I'll get straight to the story. Oh, an <laughs> email from Joe Biden's writing to us. Joe Biden Incredible. or your dad. I could see your dad doing malarkey. <laughs> oh, no. Jim, no? <laughs> no. Malarkey, he would use it sarcastically, okay. but no. Um, he would say bullshit. <laughs> Make it last four minutes. <laughs> My dad owns his own business, a solid waste consulting and engineering consulting company. I actually work for him as his marketing director. And then in parentheses, yay for family businesses, Uh. question mark, question mark, exclamation point, exclamation point. Close parentheses, period. (laughs) 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 WWW. Promo code murder. Because he's an expert on landfills, I know, right? He had been called in on many criminal and civil cases over the years, most often because a landfill employee or customer is killed. Mm -hmm. But sometimes he gets called in on a murder trial where evidence or bodies have been found in a landfill. And this one I'm about to tell you is both riveting and heartbreaking. In 2001, Michael Blagg came home from work to find his wife, Jennifer, and six-year-old daughter, Abby, missing and a blood-soaked master bed. He called the police, but eventually he was arrested, charged, and found guilty of murdering his wife. Her body was found in a local landfill, which is why my dad was brought in. One of the key pieces of evidence was material from his workplace that was found in proximity to his wife's body. However, my dad was for the defense and argued that the evidence did not indicate that her body and the pamphlets from his work could have come in on the same load. Regardless, Michael Blagg was imprisoned and a second trial just a couple years ago, found him guilty. The evidence against him seems pretty dried until you consider some of the other evidence, mm-hmm. most of which was not allowed to be discussed during either trial. One, uh, shortly after Abby, the daughter disappeared, a man was pulled over for a traffic stop in a nearby state. He had a little girl in his car and some sort of incriminating evidence. I think the mom's driver's license or something that linked him to the family. It wasn't Michael's car. He'd already been arrested. And another suspect, only identified as Mr. B, was identified but never charged, um, had confessed to murdering other little girls and had a list with both Jennifer Blagg, the mom, and Abby Blagg 
tag the little girl named on it. Many people think that Abby was kidnapped and trafficked while her mother was murdered because she got in the way. I wonder if Michael did not murder his wife and someone kidnapped his little girl and he has been sitting in prison all of these years. Of course, maybe he did murder them and that's awful too. Either way, as a parent to two young children, this case is heartbreaking. I'm always proud that my dad played a role in trying to get to the truth. You guys are amazing and I so appreciate your honesty and sense of humor. Thank you for all your hard work. Much love, Sarah. Wow. I don't think you did it. I mean... It, it, that's the thing is that idea that you could, it would be impossible to link evidence like that at a dumps yeah. where it's pure chaos. It's just like, it, imagine all the things that are at the dumps. And if they flew over and landed by a body, you can interpret yeah. it a thousand ways. Like, I wonder how many different people could be, could be connected to that just based on the trash that happens to be there. And then I wonder what happened to make it so that that other evidence wasn't allowed in court because got kicked out. That yeah. might have made a really huge difference, but who the fuck knows? But maybe there was a reason yeah. where it was. I I don't know. But at the same time, it's like why if he were the murderer, why would he allow uh flyers from his work to be anywhere near? Yeah, it, it's not like that's almost suggesting that he somehow uh, that it all got thrown out, out with garbage yeah. or something that like but yeah. then if like he had been at the dump that would be the proof somehow but why would he put his own pr- whatever we're gonna yeah. solve it right now i mean That's this is that. what i feel like this is this horrible and tragic case and situation is kind of what People who get hooked on tr- true crime, yeah. it's this is a perfect example totally. because you could sit here and like theorize in your quarter armchair quarterback way yeah. for so long about it. Yeah. It's just like what happened and every yeah. little element and why. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, tragic. OK, this one has maybe my favorite opening. It just says pleasantries. <laughs> about a year ago when my boss learned I was going to your show and what it was about he casually asked did I tell you uh, about the time I almost bought a murder saw no I replied well strap in because I'm going to break it down for the sake of time back in 2009 a lady named Patricia Kimmy of Horton Kansas was abducted from her home after days of searching and collecting evidence the police believed she had been taken by force and might be deceased Flash forward a few months to when the police officially detained Patricia's killer, Roger Hollister, because he tried to kill himself and his wife in a head-on collision after police named him as a prime suspect. Whoa. Let me just say, this motherfucker must have never seen a single true crime show because of how sloppy he was with everything. Anyway, this was followed up by his wife, Rebecca, being salty as shit that her husband tried to kill them both and proceeded to tell the police what she knew, including taking police to the gravesite. Oh, shit. Rebecca. Um, So what led to the slang? Patricia's ex-husband, who owned a sawmill that Roger frequented, contracted a hit for $70,000 because he was angry about the division of property in the 2008 divorce. Note that this guy was also an idiot because once the division of property was issued, he told anyone who would would listen, including various family members, that he wanted her dead and was willing to pay to have it taken care of. Not smart. Uh-uh. It was at this point in the story when my- <laughs> he followed. I want not only do I want her dead. Wait, come back. I know that's creepy. Uh, I also will pay any price. I'll pay for it. And then a week later, me- she's gone. Isn't yeah. that weird? 
I'll circle back with you to really underline all the ways yeah. that you can look out for me being guilty in the future. <laughs> it was at this point in the story that when my boss said that during the months when Patricia was missing, he met with the ex-husband to buy a used saw from the sawmill. Oh, no. He says that oh. when he met with the guy, he was being a bit weird about everything and was willing to sell the overly clean saw for a lot cheaper than what it was worth. With the situation not feeling right, my boss passed on the purchase. Oh. Turns out he made the right decision because when Patricia's remains were found, it was documented that, quote, a forensic pathologist examined the vertebral body and the few ribs that were still attached and noticed a line of deconstruction where the ribs appeared to have been cut in a straight line. Oh. In the end, the ex-husband settled in civil court in a wrongful death suit. What the fuck? Roger died in prison in 2013, and his wife, Rebecca, was officially charged with aiding a felon. I'm just glad that Patricia got justice and that my boss didn't buy a murder saw. Whitney H. Wow. Yeah. That would be a very creepy position to be the person that answers the Craigslist ad. Mm -hmm. And the second you roll up your every hair on your body stands up and you're like, get out of this sawmill. I feel like let's not buy saws secondhand, guys. Let's stay out of sawmills in general. I don't think unless you are run a lathe uh -huh. or like Ooh. a very talented logger, hmm. uh, there's no don't be over there. Mm -mm. Go to your local hardware store, pick up a, you know, something cute and kitschy and a, saw, and a new brand new saw that's never been. It has to be new. Yeah. It, wh whether it's a saw, a hatchet, uh -huh. anything. anything. Stop being such a cheap bastard. <laughs> You're getting yourself into trouble. That's right. I'm not reading the subject line of this. It gives it all away. Okay. <clears throat> Let's just get right to it. My hometown is Paradise, California. You know, the one that was completely destroyed by the campfire Aww. two years ago. Yeah. My family survived by the skin of their teeth and images and articles from the event still send me reeling into anxiety and panic. I bet. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's not this story. In our middle school, there was a program for eighth graders called Northwest 8. Literally because the four portable classrooms the program used were on the Northwest's corner of the campus. About 45 students were sectioned off from the rest of the school. We attended separate classes and we had just three teachers between us. The real appeal of the Northwest 8 was that the teachers used alternative learning methods such as simulated history and trips to our local wildlife areas to learn about the land and California history. This is some California Montessori shit I, like going way back. We went yep. to... um. San Juan Capistrano to learn about the swallows that came in every fucking whenever this shit. Totally, this is so this is so California. It's amazing. Every fucking whenever. <laughs> it all went straight into little George's Literally, brain. Yeah. Literally, I was picking up on what they were laying down. Uh, yeah, this reminds me of like when Mrs. Terwilliger would come and visit our school and she would bring like, this is a living abalone or whatever. And you'd be like, learn <laughs> yeah. about the coast, yeah. the coastland or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Get into it. Immerse it. Hold on. I'm, let okay. me close my door really quick. Hold on. Yeah. Yeah. We bought a jukebox from the 19, from the sixties. You guys did? For Vince's birthday. And they, and it's fully, it's from a record store that refurbishes old jukeboxes. So they filled no. it with like 250. Uh, records, old records. That's badass. Um, we had to apply to be in this program and it was competitive. We usually looked forward to simulation days where they remade our little world of classrooms into sets for whatever we were learning about. 
From Ellis Island, we were checked for nits and segregated by our home pre-assigned countries. To the Industrial Revolution, they had us assembling little paper hats in a hot, loud classroom under cramped conditions. To a slave ship. I'm not even going to describe this one because yikes. Wow. One of the simulations they did was dot, 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 the 1976 Chowchilla bus kidnapping <sighs> that Karen covered in the last episode. That's right. Our three teachers dressed as kidnappers with fake guns, bandanas, and lots of yelling. They shuffled us into the back of a pitch dark U-Haul parked on school what? property, and we were given instructions to figure a way out. I think I blocked, <laughs> I think I blocked a lot of this stuff out, but listening to Karen tell the actual story that inspired my teachers to do this was disturbing. <laughs> Looking back, I'm really not sure what the lesson was. Something about teaching us survival and strength, maybe? Mm. But the lesson I learned was, don't trust adults, even your teachers, because what the fuck? I might add, this was in 1997, so not that long ago. Wow. <laughs> this is some that old is, school teaching skills, then. They, they've been teaching yeah, since the 80s. They pushed that 80s shit right up to 97. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for everything. The years upon years of listening to you both has helped me through some rough times. See first paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor thing. And recently I completed listening to every episode from the beginning. It took me 18 months and, appro and approximately 350 miles of morning walks. Aww. I love that. Stay sexy and don't let your teacher fake kidnap you. Rachel T. Good one. That is okay. Yeah. What? I mean, I kind of have to say, but I know it's wrong, but I love the idea of it's like, what are you going to do now? Yeah. This, this crazy shit has happened to you. What are you going to do now? It's very unfair for maybe the more delicate people sure, in that class sure. that are be like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pee in the corner yeah. and then I'm going to be known as the peeing in the corner girl right. for the rest of my career. I'm going to, I'm going to obsess about the fact that this happened to children my age every night and not be able to fall asleep. What, yeah. what did you they, teach me? What were they thinking? I had a teacher <laughs> and once. also just like lawsuits and parents. Yes. Like, I still remember this fucking teacher I had in third grade wanted to show us what sexism was like, you know, in the old when like women couldn't work be in the workforce. And so she separated the boys and girls and let the boys do whatever they want and made the girls like turn in homework and, and then didn't switch it and let the boy have make the boy like she basically sh did sexism <laughs> <laughs> she underlined I, sexism I still <laughs> am mad about it and the boys were such dicks like haha and they were playing cards and stuff and we were all like this isn't fucking fair and she's like right it's not fair that's it but also, how about the lesson be reversing the people who actually have like, the we're power? Like, we already know what sexism is like. <laughs> it's already like this. The boys are already in charge. It's ingrained already. <laughs> what was? Her, how about you flip it? Yeah. Flip that script and let the people learn. Who? Oh wow! Yeah, I will know. Opportunity missed. <laughs> but Rachel, not you. Yeah, Thank you for job. sharing your 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 trauma. <laughs> And the things your weird teachers did. So thank you for sharing. Yes. We love to know all about it. Yes. Okay. This one's called a Mexican Revolution family murder. Great. Hi, y'all. Just listened to the latest episode. And when Georgia talked about the Mexican Revolution, I decided to send you my family murder that happened during the Mexican Revolution. I came across a story when I was helping my abuelo sort some belongings and found a letter from the Mexican embassy. And since I can't speak or read Spanish, my greatest shame, my abuelo <laughs> filled me in. In 1912, my great great grandfather and great great grandmother came to America seeking asylum, which they were granted and they built a life for themselves on a small farm on the Texas-Mexico border. 
One day, a few years later, my great-great-grandfather was out working the farm when American soldiers rode up on their horses and shot him dead. Holy shit. Their reason? He was Mexican and looked like a rebel. This left my great-great-grandmother alone to raise eight children. She was pissed and rightfully so. She fought in court against the United States and was awarded $2,000 for the death, around $28,000 today. She took that money and bought a huge plot of land and built a home, which is the same home my abuelo would grow up in, the same home I spent my childhood summers at visiting my mama, great grandma, until she (laughs) passed. My abuelo still owns the home and rents it out to locals and other family members who still live there. We used to visit their old town multiple times a year, less so now that my abuelo's Parkinson's is advancing, but it's a special place to my family. It's our American roots grown from a horrible injustice. This story reminds me that not that much has changed, so we must keep fighting. As my abuelo has gotten sicker, every time I visit, I worry it could be the last time. And every time he tells me to never be ashamed of who I am and where I come from. He spent, That's right. Mm-hmm, he spent his whole life feeling ashamed of who he was because of some racist bastards. And he told me, quote, watching you and your sisters grow into successful, independent women taught me that there is nothing to be ashamed of. We are strong and beautiful people, and we should be proud of that. Thanks for all y'all do. Your podcast brings me so much joy in times of real darkness. Love y'all. S. That's so cool. Also, a grandfather that's telling his granddaughter he's learning from them. Totally. What a badass, like, awesome, thoughtful man. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's so cool it is it's really a beautiful story thank you for sharing that s mm-hmm. and so i love sick. how much you use the word y'all that's just my one of my favorite words <laughs> true i'm not the i sound sarcastic i'm not i remember the one time those texans remember in the beginning when we were we were all met like s- someone tweeted i tweeted something and used the word y'all and you text us i'm like steven why did you use the word y'all we don't talk like that <laughs> i was like actually that was me <laughs> i like it because it's gender neutral i don't know what like, it's just because it's so not something I would normally say. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh, my God. Yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient made in cookware. Made in was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Maiden. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of made-in products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. Goodbye. 
Why do I always remember lyrics to songs, Karen, that I haven't heard for years, but I always forget my email passwords? I know, right? It's like our brains only want us to retain useless information, but with 1Password, that problem's solved. 1Password is an award-winning password manager that's trusted by families and large-scale companies alike. If you're tired of being the person that everyone texts for a streaming login, hand that honor to 1Password. They let you share logins with people and with groups. With 1Password, you can securely switch between any device type or operating system. That means if you're a family or business that uses both Mac and PC, you won't have trouble sharing your private data. Don't let the name fool you. 1Password does more than just store passwords. It can autofill usernames, payment details, and personal information. And they notify you about potential data breaches. For business operations, 1Password has a dedicated support team that will integrate its security tools into your existing workflow. 1Password saves everyone time. And we all know that time saved equals money saved saved. Your accounting department will thank you. Don't just listen to us. 1Password was named Wirecutter's best password manager and companies like Salesforce and IBM trust 1Password to secure their most sensitive information. So you can too. Right now, our listeners get a free two-week trial at 1Password.com slash MFM. That's two free weeks at 1, as in the number 1, Password.com slash MFM. 1Password.com slash MFM. Goodbye. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Okay, here's my last one. Hey, ladies, I love the podcast, even if it sometimes freaks my roommate out. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. right. Stand by us. This story is about my parents' spooky house and their very good dog, all caps. Good dogs. Georgie and Frankie. Look at how quiet. Sleeping. They know what they have to do to stay in the room. Yeah, that's right. It's just like me when I used to ask to be in my cousin Cheryl's room. You just have to zip the lip and you can stay in there for as long as you want. Simple, really. Okay. My parents' house was built in 1915 and they bought it just before I was born in the 80s. It's a pretty normal house, two stories, three bedrooms, a big yard and an unfinished basement. We've never finished the basement as it's prone to flooding, and we've always just used it as a general sort of laundry workshop, etc. space. It's just a little bit creepy the way that all unfinished basements are, but never freaked me out too much as a kid. When you grow up in an old house, creepy basements and spooky noises at night, like noisy radiators, are just part of life. Anyway, around 2008, my parents adopted a new dog, a black lab mix named Clark. Aww, <laughs> Mr. Clark. I don't know why I missed that name. Even when I was reading this, that's the funniest. 
Our childhood dog had passed away. My sister and I were long grown and gone, and my parents wanted a furry friend around the house. Clark was six months old and incredibly sweet. He'd been rescued from a bad situation, and for years, he hated to be alone and always wanted to be in the same room as someone. That's so frank. He was pretty well trained by his foster family, housebroken and almost never barked. He was and still is to this day. He's doing great for his age. Pretty much the perfect dog. A day or two after he came home with my parents, my dad was at work and my mom went downstairs to do laundry. The basement is accessed through a door with a little closet area on one side in the kitchen. And it has creaky wooden steps going down to it. Clark predictably followed my mom down these stairs into the basement and immediately freaked out. It was the first time he'd been in the basement and something terrified him. He looked around and sniffed the air a little bit, then let out one sharp bark. The first time my mom ever heard him bark, he backed up. His hackles were raised tail between his legs. He was so scared. He peed on the floor a little bit. And then he raced back upstairs to the kitchen. My mom was at a loss for what had scared him so much, but obviously something did. She went upstairs and comforted him, but he refused to go back down in the basement. He refused to even step through the door leading to the stairs to the basement. There's a door to the driveway halfway down the basement stairs, and that's the only door where you don't get a face full of flying lab if you enter. We've tried everything, favorite dog treats, people food, toys, but nothing in 12 years has convinced this incredibly social dog to even pass through that doorway. Once when I was visiting, something happened to cause a small hole in the kitchen floor, and Clark wouldn't go near it (sighs) until it was covered up. None of us have ever experienced anything too creepy in the basement, but obviously something terrifying is down there, and Clark's the only one with the good sense to avoid it. (laughs) Stay sexy and don't get murdered in a creepy basement, and then scare a sweet dog. Oh my god, what's down there? They don't know. Dig it up. Dig it up. I mean, something's down there. That dog knows what he's talking about. Or it's like, I believe. I think it like, it just, for me, it like makes me believe in like bad vibes more, you know? Sure. But if it's unfinished, there could be like one corner of the basement where it there's just a body. It's just like, like you know, in a cartoon when yeah. you scan down underground yeah, yeah, and you yeah. see the skeletons and stuff. There could just be a skeleton just right on the other side of one of their unfinished dirt walls. Or he's just a design snob and is like, finish this fucking <laughs> basement already. It's garbage. I don't want to look at it. Yeah. I will pee on it. <laughs> I it's not fear. It's disdain. It's, it's dog disdain. Like, the one thing he stuck up about is <laughs> <laughs> unfinished flooring. Finish it. I'm Clark. Finish it. <laughs> Okay, this, my last one's called Kentucky Meat Shower. Oh, yeah. Karen, Georgia, Stephen, Vince, and all the pets. Oh, Vince. Uh, I was listening to the recent <laughs> minisode where you shared about the Jello rain shower in Washington. And finally, I have a hometown to send you the story <laughs> of the Kentucky Meat Shower. Shit. Here we go. Back in March 1876, on a clear night in Rankin, Kentucky, Mrs. Couch. I never could find her name, only her husband's, Ugg, was outside minding her own business doing farmy type things on her farm when all of a sudden chunks of meat started falling from the sky. What? The chunks were as small as a golf ball up to as big as a grapefruit. I'm sure this poor woman was freaking the fuck out. She was interviewed saying the shower of flesh must have been a sign from God. Yeah, what? probably. The next day, what some kind of sign. I don't know. Go inside. Stay inside. <laughs> <laughs> finish your basement go inside and finish your basement 
The next day, some random dudes came to the farm to investigate and said the mystery meat had the distinct taste of, quote, rancid mutton, which means they ate Taste. it. Which means Who they ate it. it. It's like which co- one? It's like the cocaine rubbing it on your tooth, but the meat shower <laughs> taste it. Just you just dab it under your tongue yeah. each side. Uh, do, 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 do. And it says, no, thank you. A scientist later studied a preserved sample and said it had to be some form of gnostic or cyanobacteria that can fall when it rains, much like the what? story in the last hometown, which I pronounced totally wrong, by the way, in the last I got so many tweets, but I don't care about whoa the what whatever that's called sciencey pronunciations that i don't know oh are you not a scientist did you know i'm not a scientist wait no because you've really been acting like one this whole time yeah and it's on my resume that i gave you Uh for this podcast (laughs) science smoking fencing (laughs) the only problem with that theory is that it was complete it was a completely clear night so it couldn't have been part of the rain um to add further confusion to the story a later analysis of the tissue discovered it to be either lung tissue from a horse what or all caps a human infant and then it says apparently those tissues were indistinguishable back then weird so it's probably horse meat it can't a human infant but okay but questions okay let me keep reading so what actually happened question mark no one knows for certain the favorite theory of locals in the area is that the meat from the sky was quite literally meat they think vultures flying overhead must have disgorged their stomachs all at once to cause the chunks of meat to shower down. They had probably previously chowed down on an animal carcass, hopefully, and sure. poor Mrs. Couch was just incredibly unlucky that night. I've lived in Kentucky for more than half my life now, and I love my weird and wonderful state, hoping to see you come through here again if the world stops ending. Thanks for keeping me sane, <laughs> normalizing my true crime obsession, and just generally being the best. SSDGM and watch for meat showers, Kayla. Kayla, <laughs> I need to know if you're going to say a meat shower, in my mind, mm-hmm. that means meat is going from as far as the eye can see to the right, yeah. as far as the eye can see to the left, back and forward. So, if it's vultures throwing up, yeah, did it just did it come down within like a ten foot radius, right? Is, or was like it just is like this one like person, and then that's it? Who knows? Yeah, because yeah, right. Because then that I there's so many theories you could start inventing, yeah. about what that be from. But I imagined that it was like when you talked about the other one, that it's like rain, Showering. but other stuff, yeah. Like rain goes everywhere. It doesn't just. No, I think it was just the meat. Can someone also like a biology major tell us if if fucking horse meat and human infant meat are at all similar? (laughs) Why back in the 1800s, they would have confused the two. I have to say that I bet you the scientist that theorized that was like this. The chances are this looks a lot like. Um, horse lung to me. <gasps> what if it was a baby? But what if it was a baby? Oh my god! And then, then, then the person that they worked with is like still writing it down. Where he's like, no, 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 don't write down or, you everything know, I say. He's thinking it and, and accidentally writing it at the same time. You know when you do oh, that. Yeah. That's got to be like he's like he's writing what it probably is. Right. Then he accidentally wrote what he hopes it's not. Right. What would be the best case scenario and the worst case scenario? Best case scenario. And then when he will quit is when it comes back. (laughs) But if this ever happens again and it's human infant, I'm out. I just need to know the range. I need to know uh, the the what by what did this fall in? Yeah. Um, Send us your fucking stories, please. They're so fun. They're so They're fun getting to better through. by the moment. They really are. So good. I had so many yeah. good ones to choose from. Uh, you can send them to my favorite murder at Gmail. There's a place on the website to send them and in the, the fan cult as well. We love them. 
and come and be a part of things. Listen and then get just find one noun that you can relate to your own life. And that like many people did on this episode Mm -hmm. and then go, I finally have a reason to write in and write it in. That's right. Maybe Stephen, leave in the conversation about the um, jukebox. So maybe people will write in about random jukebox stuff. Honked jukeboxes. Our jukebox didn't work because they opened up the back and there was horse lungs inside. (laughs) Come on. Don't make me do all the work. You do the work. Yeah. You get your horse lung story together. And also, you stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Goodbye. Goodbye. Elvis, you want a cookie? (laughs) 